Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. We are brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. I'm here with my co-host, Bill Quinn. Welcome, Bill. Good evening, Todd. How are you doing? Well, we are at a an existential crisis for our beloved republic. We've got a packed show, and we're going to dig into this. But this vote for the Speaker of the House is becoming a binary choice between the people's choice, Jim Jordan, and a, a, basically a coalition government with the Democratic Party or the Uniparty, uh, as we know them at this point. Uh, before we get into that, I'm going to go into a little housekeeping. But we've got uh, John Gordon, the former uh, candidate for Georgia AG, and the host of the High Noon Radio Show with John John Fredericks Radio Network. We've got Father Troy Beecham to talk about issues in the world, and we've got Dan Schultz from the Precinct Project is going to talk about citizen activism against what's happening in D.C. But a little housekeeping. Please sign up for our newsletters. Please sign up for the podcast for Georgia 24 Show. It's on all podcast providers. Uh, Check the little notification button so you get a ding when when we start and uh, sign up for our Rumble channel, CDM One. We need to grow this network. Uh, we're over on Twitter, and that, that's basically the only uh, communist, former communist network we're on. We're on all the the MAGA networks or free speech networks, if you will. But please support us. Tell people about the show. We need to get bigger and bigger as we impact what's going on in the world. Before we get to our guests, I want to just talk about this. is a very unpredictable world. There's a lot of random black swan events happening geopolitically you've seen the 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 uh the fighting in gaza it's very likely we could have terror attacks here in the u.s with all these uh, 10 million people have come into the country we don't know who they are or, or where they are and so you need to protect yourself not just physically but financially so if you have a portfolio it's getting toward the end of the year and you may have some losses in bonds with 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 interest rates gone way up what do you do? Do you take losses? What do you do? Do you rebalance your portfolio? Equities could be very vulnerable just due to the they've been held up by a lot of free money printed by the Fed. Where, where do you put your funds? Do you look at crypto? Do you look at land? Do other other asset classes? We have a, a fantastic advisor that's supporting this show. His name is David Cross. You, everybody in the GOP knows him, but others may not. I'm just going to run a quick spot from him. So if you need advice, give David a call if you need portfolio advice. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. So everyone in Georgia knows John Gordon. He ran for the attorney general position, and he has he's the host of High Noon on the John, Fredio, John Fredericks Radio Network. I can't get that out tonight. Can you bring in <laughs> our first guest, Bill? You bet. John, hey. thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy down there in Palm Beach. It's happy hour. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be with you. So uh, we talked briefly before the show, and I wanted to bring you on just from your perspective as a politician in Georgia. Uh, what's happening in the speaker race and, and your thoughts with 22 so-called Republicans voting for against Jim Jordan today for speaker? Well, one of my biggest disappointments is uh, Drew Ferguson, who represents the third district in, in Georgia uh, over uh, near West Point. He has 
uh, portions of South Atlanta down to uh, portions of Columbus. And he voted for uh, Jim Jordan in the first round and then switched his vote um, in the last round inexplicably, which I really do not understand. What I hope is going on, if you, if you go down and you look at the way the votes turned out, six Republicans who earlier voted for Jordan and then in the last round voted for someone else, most of them voted for either McCarthy or Scalise. Well, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that McCarthy, uh, his run as speaker or a, even a candidate for speaker is over. Scalise has withdrawn. So you, you don't really know how genuine it is. If he were drafted to be speaker, would he say, okay, I'll, I'll serve? Yeah, I think he would. But I really think that ship has sailed. So what I am hoping, hoping against hope, is that a lot of this uh, interim voting are just shenanigans and it is in the name of horse trading. And, and I happen to think that that's probably the case uh, with a lot of these people, because I look down the list here, there are 22 people. A lot of these people are very uh, good conservatives. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, politics is messy. And um, I think we're just going to have to give it time to play out. And I am not giving up hope for Jim Jordan. You know, we, we want change because we're not happy with the way things are being run in Washington. And Jim Jordan gives us that hope that with his backbone and his uh, track record that he will bring us the change that we so desperately want. Well, I think one of the issues in the House race is the, the members just want somebody who's honest and they can they, they can trust because I think McCarthy made a lot of promises and went back on almost all of them. And, you know, you have some experience in, in statewide races. Uh, how does that trust factor play into to this type of situation? Well, um, unfortunately, I have been disappointed uh, in in my time in Georgia politics. Mm -hmm. um, you would think that if you do what you believe, stay true to who you are, and that people that you have known for decades uh, would be trustworthy. And unfortunately, my experience does not bear that out. And um, I, I think it's one of the reasons that people are very disillusioned. And uh, People in Washington today do not appear to be governing for we the people. They appear to be governing for someone other than us. And I, I would say that is also very much the case under the gold dome. Uh, you've got Brian Kemp, who cannot, who literally cannot finish a speech in front of a Republican crowd. And by that, I mean activists, people that are uh, in the field. Uh, he can't finish a speech without getting booed off the stage. And Brad Raffensperger, and, and, and proving that point, he has gone and formed what um, some people are, are viewing as a third party, almost. It's the party of Kemp. He, he's formed a national C4, and he's going around fundraising. He's got tens of millions of dollars in this C4, and he has basically just flicked off the, the Georgia Republican Party. And uh, just, 
is is persona non grata, and he has sort of said, "Okay, I'm taking my toys and going home." Uh, Brad Raffensperger is in the same boat. Uh, I personally don't want to be in the same room with Brad Raffensperger, and I don't mean that viciously. I just mean that he has alienated me beyond belief because I do not believe that he tells the truth. And uh, Kemp, Raffensperger, and Carr all appear to me to be people that have something to hide. Hmm. And that's what my instinct is telling me. And there is, there is smoke there that deserves to be looked at. And I'm proud of the work that you all have done at uh, CM Media and uh, CD Media. And, and I want you to keep up the fight. I know it gets hot in the kitchen, but <laughs> this stuff is real and it matters. And, and to me, Todd and, and, and Bill, it would be so easy. Really. Governing should be easy. You just keep your promises and you govern for the people that sent you there. And I think that's why we like Donald Trump. He had a scoreboard in the White House of every promise that he made. And they, they had big check marks by every promise that he fulfilled. And he, he, he did not break a single promise that I'm aware of. Well, he did break one and I'm mad at him about it. <laughs> he, he told us he was going to release all the Kennedy files and when push came to shove, uh, the, the scuttlebutt is that Pompeo talked him out of it. Well, yeah. hello. Uh, Duh. Uh, that's yeah. the reason we want to see him, Mr. President. So get back in there and do what you promised. But other than that, he fulfilled every promise that he made. And he, he caused our allies to, to be accountable. He required the Europeans to pay their fair share of NATO. And uh, he, he just flat out told Germany, look, if you're not going to spend 2% of your GDP on defense, then we're not going to give you any help at all. And by gosh, they up the, their, their contribution to their own defense. I mean, I could spend, we could spend a whole program talking about Trump's accomplishments in office, but those are the ones that just come to my mind immediately. And that's why we like him so much. We just want people to keep their promises. And yeah. govern for us. And and Washington is just overrun with special interest. We made a lot of great points about uh, our folks here in the state of Georgia. <clears throat> I had two questions. One, do you do you sense that people across the state are getting this too? Do, do they do they understand the issues and the what's what's lacking in the responsiveness of our folks here in Georgia, do you think? No. Hmm. You and I the activists, the people that have really shown an interest? Absolutely. But, you know, I, I, I ran a campaign for governor back in the early 80s in Georgia. And we had this consultant uh, from Washington. He, he, he weighed 300 pounds and his, his ankle was broken. Uh, and and told him, said he didn't know why his ankle was broken. I said, wow. <laughs> looked in the mirror lately. I mean, maybe I need to lose some weight. I didn't say it. I wanted to. But he was a really good guy. And and last thing I would ever do, would want to have done, have done was hurt his feelings because he was such a good guy. And he was so smart. And he was a, a, a legend in political consultant circles. I wish I could remember his name. He ran John Y. Brown's campaign in Kentucky. 
and came up with the slogan that John Y. Brown means business for Kentucky. And it, it, it really worked. Maybe it'll come to me in a minute. But but he told he said to me, he said, you know, the problem with the electorate is that they have jobs and they have bills and they have children and they have spouses. And the and the kid didn't come home for the curfew last night. The other kid got an F on his paper. The his boss is all over him on, on his job. And it's just that, you know, really politics and 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 government and um national issues fall somewhere around eight, nine, or 10 on most people's list of, of their priorities. And so uh, that's why I say that when we look at the um, electorate, I feel that, that, that we are part of the problem. Uh, we're, we're, we're not adequately educated and informed, and it's not the priority that should be. However, I do think that people are waking up. I think that 2020 was a wake-up call. I think that uh, these continuing uh, budget resolutions, the omnibus bills, where that, that have resulted in $32 trillion in deficits, you know, in five years, interest on that money is going to be the largest line item of the federal budget. That That is alarming. I mean, we are headed towards a train wreck of colossal uh, proportions. And most people are completely oblivious to it. It's like Alfred E. Newman, who me worry. And um, I, I get it. I mean, it, it, my son, my my 37 year old son, who, who really cares and is a really good guy said, dad, I just don't watch the news anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, Dad, there's just too much negative energy. I, I can't I can't deal with it. I've got to focus on my business and my life. And so I think he really probably speaks for a lot of people in, in that regard. So it sounds like it's going to take some, I don't know, some massive kick in the pants to if the majority of the folks that aren't paying attention begin to. Yeah. And I'm hoping it's not going to be anything coming out of the, the results or the... Uh, international stuff going on now, but eventually something's going to hit people in the head and go, wow, I guess, I guess I should have been paying attention. I've got a big problem here. That, and I, and I also would say that that is overlaid with the fact that this country since Gore v. Bush has been as divided as we could possibly ever imagine. And um, I, I really don't think that it should be that way. There are issues that divide us, clearly. Um, but we've got to find some way to get to the middle of those issues that we can all agree on. Can, can we agree? I, I mean, I, I say it all the time. This country entered a huge moral decline the day that the Supreme Court outlawed prayer in school. And there are so many kids. I mean, I had two great parents. I am so, I am one of the luckiest people on earth. And, and my parents were together until they passed away. Um, and, and they love me and I love them. But so many children don't have that advantage. And particularly in lower income families, they're, they're, their lives are a mess. They're struggling. They don't have role models. And so um, it, 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 it makes it tough. But I'm just saying, can we? what can we agree on? 
could we restate the Ten Commandments in biblical terms and just say, don't kill, don't lie, don't cheat, don't rob, um, don't steal your your neighbor's uh, significant other, and just go through the Ten Commandments and restate them in terms that are not going to offend the people that are so easily offended and have a national agreement on values. I think that would be a great start towards starting to figure out how we can work together. Because when you really get down to it, we have more in common and we have more issues that we should be able to rally around than the ones that are divisive. And, and I think it's the fringe members of both parties that create the division. Um, you know, we just cannot have our way on every single issue. There has got to be some kind of compromise and coming to the middle. And, and I think that's kind of the ugly side that we're, we're seeing in politics. We say that out of one side of our mouth, but on the other side of our mouth, we don't want them to give an inch on getting Jim Jordan to be Speaker of the House. I'd yeah. be the first to say that because I trust him. And I think that he will do the right thing. I think he's smart and I think he's reasonable. And um, so we, we just need somebody that will convene the budget committee the day after they pass a budget and start working on the next one rather than waiting 10 days before the budget and say, oh, we're, we're out of time. We're shutting down the government. Oh, we have to vote for the omnibus bill. That uh, nobody can read. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't have time to read it. We have to pass it first. Yeah. You know, you know. And they just play us for fools like we don't know what's going on. John, thanks. We got I could talk to you all night. But, uh, I could talk to you all night. <laughs> all right. I love being with you. Thank you for having we'll me. We'll have on. you back. I appreciate Thank it, John. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Evening. So before we move on to our next guest, we've talked a lot about instability in the world, terror attacks, 10 million illegal immigrants moving into the U.S., that we don't know where they are, who they are, what they're doing, what their plans are, a lot of fighting age men. So a lot of instability, a lot of random things that could be happening. How are you going to take care of your family if the grid goes down or if you can't get to CVS and you have some type of medical issue and need life-saving medications? So we have a, uh, a solution for that, the emergency medical kit by the wellness company. If you go to twc.health forward slash CDM, they offer a kit with most of the drugs that you might need in some type of an emergency and from tick bites to bioweapons like bubonic plague or the next COVID or whatever. It's all there. This kit will take care of one adult. You may need more than one. But uh, anyway, prepare for, for the what you don't know is coming and take care of your family and, and go to twc.health forward slash CDM. And if you use promo code CDM, you get a 10% discount. Thank you. Let's bring in Dan Schultz. All right. Give me just a moment. There we go. Hi, guys. Hey, for some reason, you're black screened on us. Oh. Let's try that one more time. See if we can get that to sync properly. There we, there go. we go. Hey, all right. Dan, so I'll you're an activist out in Arizona. You're an attorney and you're a West Point grad. And you've been extremely effective with the precinct strategy, getting the GOP to start to turn the ship. What are your thoughts about what's going on in the House right now? 
Um, my thoughts are simply this. Why, why don't these uh, incumbent rhinos, fake Republicans, why aren't they afraid of what they're doing, the consequences of not voting, for example, for Jim Jordan? The reason they're not afraid is they look down uh, at uh, their congressional district and they see that well over half of the precinct committeeman slots of the Republican Party in their district are vacant. And so they think to themselves, well, look at these clowns, these conservatives who go on Twitter and say, primary them, primary, or call my office and say, we're going to primary you. Well, um, saying it and doing it are two different things. Over yeah. half of the Republican Party precinct committeeman slots on average are vacant in their congressional districts. Kevin McCarthy, when he ran for re-election in California in a very red district, you know what the turnout was in his primary? Anybody want to guess? You don't have to guess. I, I don't want to, you don't have to guess. 22.8%. Mm, Over 75% of Republicans in his district did not turn out and vote for one of the other two Republicans who were running against him. That's why we keep reelecting these uniparty people. And they don't care about what we say to them because they're not afraid of us. And they're not afraid of us because we're not in a position to take them out in a primary. And that's what we should be focusing on. The thing that the paramount thing, the absolute number one highest priority of every conservative ought to be filling up a vacant precinct committeeman slot in the Republican Party apparatus as soon as possible because deadlines are approaching. For example, in Arizona, if you want to be able to run for a delegate position for the state con presidential nominating convention to vote for Donald Trump national convention delegates, you got to be a precinct committeeman because only the precinct committeeman who got elected in 2022 or get appointed between now and the end of the year, which is 74 days from now, get to vote. Any Republican can show up at these presidential nominating conventions in each state in the five territories and D.C., but the only people who get to vote are precinct committeemen. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> And you've stuck to it for several years. and Yeah, only 14 years. Well, you've made a lot of... I'm just going to mention my little book that I wrote, which you can get at my website, precinctstrategy.com, which is what I learned in seventh grade civics. I didn't learn it at West Point. <laughs> I didn't learn it in law school. I learned it in seventh grade civics when they were still teaching basic American civics. Now, that was 1968 and 1969, which tells you how ancient I am. I'm class of 78, West Point, proud and great 78. We're having a reunion. and uh, I'm not going to the reunion this year. I hope to make it to the 50th if I survive. But uh, anyways, um, bottom line is this. We are really, really bad conservatives. Bad, bad, bad at participating in party politics. And that's what we have to do. And, you know, I'm a member of, uh, well, I'm not a member of STARS, I don't think, but I, I'm on the, the West Point 60 call, you know, yep. like, go like 60 call, and you've been on it too. And I've been trying to tell these guys, include all the generals, the retired generals, McInerney, Vallelie, all of them, if you really want to do something, lead by example, become a voting member of your local committee, and then tell everybody why it's so important 
especially knowing that over half of these slots are vacant. And if conservatives would fill up all of the vacancies, volunteer, doesn't cost you a dime. In some states, you have to pay some nominal dues. Go to the meetings, learn how to do all this stuff, and join with the 100,000 that are already in the party. There's 100,000 conservatives, 100,000 moderates, rhinos, and 200,000 vacancies. Do the math. And I explain it at my website at precinctstrategy.com. We've got to become, you know, like you said, Dan, you're an activist. I'm not an activist. I'm a precinct committeeman. Bannon, the second time I was on his show in early uh, 2021, he said, when I'm in the wings, hey, Dan, what should I say? What group should I say you're with? And I said, and I chuckled. I said, Steve, my group is the Republican Party. I'm a voting member of the Republican Party, and I'm trying to recruit all of your viewers and listeners to follow suit and fill up those 200,000 vacancies. We, there, there's, a, there's a guy from Hawaii, Nolan, Nolan something or other, I can't remember his last name right now. He was on Bannon's War Room. He's in the Hawaii Republican Party. And he held up his hand. He's a martial artist. And he held up his hand. He goes, look, when your hand is like this, all the fingers are weak. But when you go like this and clench, clench those fingers and unite, now you got a fist. That's what we have to do. And I've got a graphic at my site that shows it. We took the Second Amendment people, the Tea Party people, name your issue, good issue, good groups, and then wore one more hat every month. Go to your local Republican Party committee meeting and volunteer to fill a vacancy. Then we'd be like a fist. But we're not like that yet with over half of the slots filled. And I talked about it on my podcast today, which thank you, uh, Todd, for letting me uh, broadcast on CD Media on Getter. It's, it, 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 it was live at six. Every, every weekday at six o'clock, yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, but we're not filling up the slots fast enough. And I wish I had a magic wand and could make it happen. I'm trying to get President Trump to talk about it. He endorsed my precinct strategy last year on February 27th. That's on my website. But when he goes and talks to his rallies, he ought to be saying something along these lines. Hey, everybody out there. Wow. Raise your hand if you're a precinct committee owner, precinct delegate or precinct committee officer, whatever it is in that state. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. Everybody else. Look at those people. These are my shock troops. These are the people I want you to be. Go talk to one of those people. Eyeball them. Well, I did that at, when I spoke at the Lindell event on August 17th. I did the exact same thing. But listening to little old Dan Schultz, who cares? But if Donald Trump would do it or other candidates like Royce White is doing it, he's running for the U.S. Senate uh, in uh, Minnesota. I know him now. I've been That's on his great. podcast a couple of times. And he's talking about it. And he understands the way he gets the nomination is to fill up all the precinct committeeman slots. And then they go and they they run for delegate and then you go to the state convention and you endorse, you get the state convention delegates of the Minnesota GOP to shock the world and endorse Royce White for U.S. Senate in the primary. That's what we've got to do. That's how powerful precinct committeemen are. There's this little pamphlet that, you know, Phyllis Schlafly wrote a long time ago. Well, she didn't write it, but somebody else did and she published it at the Eagle Forum. 
the most powerful office in the world is the president is not the president of the United States. It's precinct committee. Abraham, let me, let me ask you this, Dan. I took your advice a couple of years ago. I know on, on the Miami Dade uh, Republican Executive Committee, and boy, they were not happy to see us. In right, right, right. And they, I mean, literally, I mean, they have been doing a lot of very nefarious things, like not telling us what openings are there, not reporting the openings to the 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 local county election supervisor in in violation of federal and state law. I mean, just some, I mean, and we had a vote to try to find out where the meeting or where the openings were, who, what openings and what districts. And they literally walked out of the meeting. So there was been a quorum and that we couldn't pass the motion. So, I mean, you've got some really uh, corrupt people that, so you got to fight once you get in there. Yep. It's all about numbers. And what we have to do is we fill up all the vacancies, then we're in charge. Then we can vote in our people to the officer positions. Mm -hmm. It's all about numbers. And of course, there's three things at my site that's not at GOP.com. That's the RNC's website. First, why and how to become a precinct committeeman. That's not explained at GOP.com. Two, how to find your local committee. Not explained at GOP.com because they don't want you. And then third, most importantly, now we have a communications and collaboration platform that my friend Robert Beatles built for us. We have almost 16,000 people on it. We're trying to get more people to come onto it where you can communicate and collaborate locally or all across the country about, remember the the Lee County ban the jab resolutions, Mm -hmm. uh, which spread to about nine other counties, maybe 10 other counties now. I, I created a public chat room, ban the jab resolution. I put the template for it in that, uh, in that, uh, chat room, then anybody who's looking for resolutions can go online and search resolution. And then boom, there's a ban the jab resolution chat room. Ooh, look, there's the template for it. And they can download it and use it at their meeting. We got to get organized and united politically like never before. And we've just got to do it. And we're not doing it sufficiently. And I always say this at the end of my podcast. Listen, I cannot guarantee you that if we do what I advise, take over the Republican Party and Trumpify it, uh, filling up all the vacancies, that we're going to save the republic. I can't guarantee that. My crystal ball is not that good. But the flip side of that is my crystal ball is really good because I was an intel officer. You know, I got paid to study communism and communists. I met communists, studied them, how they think. We're going through a soft coup. And if we do not stop reelecting uniparty Republicans and start taking them out in the primary elections, which we can do easily if we will boost turnout. Look, um, we need 70% turnout, not 20% in the primaries. How do we make that happen? You fill up all the vacancies. And as you know, I succeeded in getting my buddy, Frank Schmuck, U.S. Air Force Academy, I think, 88. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, we took out an incumbent rhino. Now, he didn't win the general because he didn't listen to me. Uh, but, you know, uh, in the general. But we got to do that, and we can do it. It's all about getting out the vote. And if we don't, if we don't take over the Republican Party as the first step, we're going to lose the republic, I guarantee it. Yeah, that's the goal of the other side. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you. Anything else you want our peop- our audience to know? 
Um, no, other than please go to precinctstrategy.com. Maybe spend a half hour, an hour there, just moseying around, looking around. You'll learn more in that half hour or hour than you've probably ever learned in formal education about basic American civics because the progressives succeeded in getting out, getting it out of the curriculum. So yeah. please go there and then take action. So real quick, one more question. I think you mentioned that, you know, the, one of the worst counties in the world against Donald Trump and for corruption is Maricopa. And didn't you say that there's a lot of open slots there still? Yes. Now think of it. When we had our 2022 election after the steal in 2020, we only filled 38.8% of 8,197 positions. That was 3,180. Only one Republican out of 125 in Arizona can even be a precinct committee. We only filled 38.8%. Here we are uh, uh, a year later, year and a half later, uh, almost a year and a half later, and we're up to a whopping 46% filled. Woohoo! Yeah. Where are all the conservatives? I don't know where they are, but I know where they're not. They're not in the precinct committee slots. My precinct, 10 slots, nine are filled. We're recruiting one more to get up to 10, 10 again. My legislative district committee, which has 47 precincts, the average is about 53%. Maricopa County, 46%. Statewide, still. Two-thirds are vacant. That is a recipe for disaster in 2024. Dan, thanks so much. We're going to have you back as we uh, move into the election. Appreciate you it. You bet. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Oops. Cut him off just a little bit. Sorry. And there we go. So interesting. I'd be interested to see what uh, how Georgia looks. Maybe we'll talk to him about that next time yeah. and, and bring in specific jurisdictions. So before we move on, uh, speaking of independence and taking care of your family, and making sure you don't uh, you have what's needed to take care of your family. Food is one of those priorities. You don't want mRNA in your beef. Glade Miller Smith at food or familyfarmbeefbox.com does not use mRNA. He will ship you beef direct from Nebraska, and it's fantastic. And my wife and kids will will vouch for that. And I'm going to run a quick commercial for Glade and uh, go to his website, familyfarmbeefbox.com, and check it out. Order a sample box if you want to try it, and I know you'll be happy. But here we go. It's going to be a good day. This Monday, we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. That video always makes me smile. I have to I, say. It really does. I was just, it was funny you should bring that up. It, it does with me too. I mean, goodbye, goodbye commercials with lots of bells and whistles, you know, at uh, yeah. kitty cat and a cow and. You know, we got a little yeah. bit left, and thanks a lot. <laughs> Doesn't take great. much. We're shipping beef this Monday. And a great guy, too. <laughs> so uh, speaking of great guys, let's bring on Father Troy Beecham. Okay. How you doing, Troy? Hi, gentlemen. Good. How you doing? 
So you are the brother of my classmate, Brent Beecham, uh, who uh, is one of the original uh, idea makers behind CDM. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I wanted to bring you on because I respect your guidance. You've you've helped some people in my family. And I, tell me, how should Christians think about what's going on in the world right now? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, let's start at home. Um, because the, the, what's going on in, you know, America, um, is a, a great concern, uh, to me and obviously to, to you guys. Um, our long drift towards social Marxism, um, We've entered a post-truth post society now. <laughs> when you have, you know, the person who's sitting in the White House say that facts don't matter, it's our feelings. Um, there's a lot to be frightened uh, and concerned about um, when we have thrown out any kind of objective standards for what's real, what's true, um, what's what's believable. Um, and so you can, I mean, I don't, I haven't watched you know, television um, and uh, news shows for over 30 years now. <laughs> I quit when I was in my 20s because I, I recognized even way back then that the stuff that I read in Orwell, you know, 1984 or Brave New World, that stuff was, that was already happening. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, trying to find um, truth out there, um, particularly in the mainstream media, is incredibly difficult. <laughs> Um, I don't know if most Americans know this, uh, all nine, over 90% of American media is owned by four different companies and they are directing, um, a propagandistic agenda and have been for decades. So that's, that's kind of what undergirds what's happening in America. Um, how, how should a Christian respond to what's happening in America? Um, in my experience of 20 years of being a priest, I, I've watched uh, how the church um, has slowly been replacing traditional, you know, Orthodox Christian definitions with leftist Marxist definitions using Christian terminology, but devoid of Christian content. It's... Um, so what, what's happened is we've, we're, we're in a place now where Christians are confused about how to respond or they've become so convinced that what they understand to be Christianity is in fact just Marxist ideology with, you know, you know Jesus as a cutout <laughs> put on front of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've, I've struggled for 20 years um, in the church. Um, and taken a lot of flack uh, for simply saying that the Bible is objectively true. <laughs> you wouldn't think that would be strange for priests to be able to say, <laughs> right? Yeah. You wouldn't think that your superiors would come down on you for. <laughs> I mean, that 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 those are my truth claims. Those are the truth claims of Christianity and of Judaism. Um, were were founded. Uh, our truth games are founded on the scriptures. Um, and so when you have a post-truth society, um, 
the, you know, the authority or the validity of the scriptures have been so eroded over the last several decades in particular. Um, it, it's hard even for Christians to be able to say, this is the ground on which I'm standing. Um, these are the parameters uh, from which I'm going to make informed decisions. Um, so th that's kind of the foundation. So I, I think what's happening too um, is that in Western civilization in general, but also in particular, America in particular, uh, Christianity's kind of been, it's devolved now into something like, um, I just wanna be a good person. I wanna be a nice person. And we wanna be seen as kind and virtuous. And now that virtuosity has been, or, or virtuousness has been defined um, through a leftist lens, uh, particularly conservative Christians are very confused um, how to, <laughs> How, how to read what's happening uh, in the world right now. What's you happening. know, I just, I want to step in for a second. I, I was listening to Tucker Carlson speak the other night mm. on one of his recent videos. And he said, well, you know, this religion stuff, basically all true. Look around you, what's happening. I mean, yeah. it's very obvious to me that we're in some kind of spiritual conflict. And yeah. uh, I mean, the stuff that's happening is just pure evil. And why are they going after all the Christians? There's a reason for that, Yeah, you know? And that's one of the things, one of the things that's been lost um, just in my 20 years of being a priest is the ability to call something objectively evil, mm -hmm. right? Um, in our world of the various iterations of critical theory, whether it's critical race theory, critical gender theory, whatever, critical theory. Um, and for those who don't know, critical theory is a Marxist uh, ideology um, and take take it for what that means to you. Um, for me, that makes it morally bankrupt and absolutely uh, to be rejected um, mm -hmm. <laughs> without <laughs> without hesitation or um, nuance. We're hearing a lot of words today uh, recently about nuance, um, nuance in response in, in Israel. But one of the things that we've lost is the ability to call something objectively evil. Mm -hmm. um, and because we want to be light, Americans, I travel a lot internationally, and Americans really want to be liked. And I'm surprised, you know, most cultures don't really care what you think about them. <laughs> they're just, they're proud about their nation and their people and their language. And we're just a self-effacing, constantly apologizing um, people right now. Um, and I find that very strange and kind of sad that we've, we've allowed ourselves from within um, to be reduced to where we no longer um, are proud of our own. Oops. No, I didn't. I didn't hit the cord. <laughs> <laughs> so you were going for that Chick-fil-A sandwich and you hit the wrong button. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we may have lost him. We'll have Father Beecham back because he's uh, a, a wise voice. I think he was uh, trying to come back in. Okay. Maybe give it just a minute. One of the things that I, as he was speaking, one of the things that, that occurred to me um, is it, it's difficult for many who've perhaps not been paying very close attention to miss the parallels now between 
um, biblical scripture prophecy to some extent and what the heck's going on in, in Israel. I mean, here we are again after 40, 50 years of, uh, of, um, you know, detente or whatever you want to call it. And we're back fighting over this piece of land that goes back in history. Oh, here he is. There we go. I don't know what happened. You just suddenly disappeared. No, I, I was saying I promised I did not kick the plug out on you. So, but of course, we're talking I, about objective evil, and I get yeah. I get knocked out of the conversation. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> what I was I was make, making a comment about you know the parallels between what's going on now with uh, in the Middle East yeah. and so much of biblical history, uh, prophecy to some extent, scriptures, yeah. and it would to me it's almost almost impossible to dismiss the parallels. It's yeah. like, here we are fighting over, you know, this little slit, slice of land a few hundred miles long yeah. again Yeah. in the, for the, how many times in history, you know, a hundred, 200, uh, I don't know. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, every generation or two, um, you know, reads the scriptures and reads their times and themselves in the scriptures and think that this is it. We're in the end times. Um, so I'm always hesitant, uh, to say this is prophecy, you know, being fulfilled and this is what the scriptures talked about, but in a broader sense, um, this is part of, um, a literally millennia long, um, pattern in history, mm -hmm. um, of, of hatred of Jewish people. It's, it's been going on from, <laughs> uh the time of uh the patriarchs and you know that's nearly four thousand years of history of the jewish people being persecuted um how many times has genocide been attempted against them um it's i mean i off the top of my head i can think of five times um in recorded history uh but i find disturbing you know about particularly what's going on in israel right now uh uh I said that I, I don't watch mass media, um, but I, I do pay attention to the news. Um, and CDM is one of the places where I go for solid news. Thank you. <laughs> um, part of what I, I'm, I'm hearing and reading, um, of course, from the uh, uh, propagandists in our own government, um, as well as in other countries, um, from the protest of university students who have been hopelessly indoctrinated into social Marxism. Um, that words like genocide are being used, that the Jewish people, the Israelis, are committing genocide in Gaza. Um, and those words are, 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 of course, extremely inflammatory um, and, and they get us upset and excited and, you know, but you really have to be careful about language. And that's one of the things is what cultural Marxism does. It, it, it colonizes language, one of the first things it does. Um, so you have to be very careful about language. What, you know, what, what really is genocide? <laughs> um, and another word that I've been hearing, you know, we've been hearing it for longer than I've been born since the state of Israel was refounded in 49, um, that Israel's an apartheid state. 
um, uh, we're, we're hearing, you know, these words have been repeated so often and sadly not challenged. I've, I've not seen anybody in major media challenge those words, no pushback. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because those are objectively false claims. And it doesn't take more than just going to your dictionary and reading the words apartheid and genocide to realize this is not what's going on in Israel. Um, well, it's an information operation that was used to affect in multiple other countries as yeah, well. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, and it's being used in our own country. You yeah. know, just in the last three or four years, um, you know, with this, with the wholly discredited 1619 project being lauded and given a Pulitzer Prize and being installed as school curriculum, yeah. um, any serious history professor uh, completely discredited it, yeah. right? But it's propaganda that's being taught to our children. And that's why when I meet Americans overseas, we're very apologetic and, you know, we're bad people, but we don't want to be seen as bad people. So it's, it's, it's really sad mm -hmm. and tragic. So how, how can a Christian respond? Um, how should a Christian respond? Um, let's take what's happening in Israel um, as a specific example. Um, most of what I have seen coming from my peers um, and from Christian leaders um, has been entirely anti-Semitic. And people like to parse, well, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm just anti-Israel. That's That just doesn't work. That, <laughs> that, that's just, that kind of fake nuance uh, just, just doesn't work. Um, the anti-Semitism uh, that I am seeing and have been seeing um, is astonishing. So how should a Christian respond in, in, in the face of what's happening to Israel? To be silent about the horrific, objectively evil attack on the Jewish people of Israel is to be complicit, right? Silence is complicity. So we have to be able and be willing to, to be yelled at or to lose the, the affection or admiration of people and stand up and say, this is objectively evil. And the people of Israel have every right to defend themselves and their citizens. And by the way, if Israel's an apartheid state, how is it that out of 9 million citizens over 1 million, exactly 1.2 million, are Arab folks, Muslims and Christians, though most of the Christians have fled the, the region um, because of Muslim aggression and atrocities. Um, and those Arab citizens of Israel are fully part of society. They serve in the military. They're part of the government. How is that an apartheid state, right? Great points, Father. We have to uh, move on because we're almost out of time. We've got a little more discussion on another issue. Okay. But, uh, we want to have you back, and thank you again, as always. Yeah. So Christians should respond with prayer, be willing to stand up for the truth, 
um, and confront the lies because they are lies. So be of good courage, fun. be of good courage, stand up for the truth. Well said. See you next time. That sounds great. All right. Take care, my friends. God bless. So that's a good segue into our next topic, right, Bill? Uh, it is. It is. We, we thought it would make a, a bit of sense to put some facts down. Um, they, as of just the last few hours, there is still heavy debate as to the, uh, the story that emerged over the last, what, 72 hours now about a hospital being uh, damaged and um, varying numbers of people killed in, in that, um, you know, in that uh, event. And so we thought it would make sense to let's let's take a look at where we're talking about and the evidence that's uh, that's coming to light. And we, we won't draw a conclusion, but I'd like to get those facts in front of you. So if, if I did my work right, we should be able to do a little traveling here around the world. And we will... We will go first to Israel itself. Ooh. And then we're going <laughs> to. And then see, you know, CNN has nothing on us. <laughs> um, and then we're going to zoom into the actual area. You'll uh, you can see a bit of Israel here. But Gaza is actually a strip of land uh, that runs along the ocean shore and is a um, sort of the call it the south uh, southwest corner and this is the actual area where this um uh, where this event took place near a uh or involving a uh, a hospital so bear with me while i take us for a little ride around the area and um we'll look at some pictures uh that have been taken that bring us a lot closer but i did want to give a sense of where this is there's some discussion about perhaps a launch area being here near the cemetery, but I've also seen um, reports that suggest that um, there would have been a launch area for missiles uh, a bit further away. So let's do this. Let's um, we'll stop there for the moment, and I'm going to go over to another piece, and we're going to look at some photos that were taken. Whoops, were taken on the ground. This is actually a, uh, I'll call it a courtyard, a parking courtyard between some of these buildings where the hospital is located. You'll notice first that uh, this, this matches um, the area we were looking at. I'll zoom in again in just a couple of minutes so you can see it. But you'll notice these um, uh, tiled roofs and you can see these as markers. And then this courtyard with, with the cars in it. Now notice some of the cars over on this side really don't appear to be nearly as much damaged. As we look at uh, another video that's available, um, we'll see that over in this corner, there is quite a bit of damage to the cars. And in fact, some of them are, are in fact flipped over. So if you'll um, bear with me for a second, we'll pull that up. Okay. Still doesn't want to cooperate with me. Give me one more try. I see them loading at the bottom. Oh, I see. They're they're queuing rather than coming straight in. Okay, here we go. All right, so this is that same courtyard, and I'm gonna mute it because what they what they say is not as helpful as being able to see it. But you can see the same courtyard. We're gonna pan around. We're actually gonna walk across the courtyard, and you can see here that. 
as we as we move across, that's where we were just looking from back in this direction. As we move across, um, we're going to see some cars that are actually flipped over, but only on one side of the parking area. So it would seem that there was more damage and more explosive damage over here. But notice there's not a visible crater. And I believe that uh, you had, I think you had mentioned it earlier. If, if this was a bomb, normally you would see, you know, a noticeable crater. Well, um, meaning from an aircraft uh, from or, a, or a, uh, you know, very high warhead missile. Right. From a, from an aerial drop. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a couple different stories swirling around. One is that um, most of this is due to um, a, uh, an aerial bomb dropped by uh, Israeli forces. And then a second report suggests that this could have been a missile that misfired that was actually being fired from Gaza over the hospital. And there's some video to uh, substantiate that as well. And bear with me for a second. There's actually a television station there that, that, um, gathered some video to show that event. Claims that it was actually missiles from the Gaza Strip shot uh, uh, into the direction of the El Ahali uh, Hospital in Gaza City and not from Israel. These are This is uh, Channel 12's camera. It is a camera situated in the city of Netivot and its view is of the Gaza Strip. You see the time uh, stamp on this, it's 6.59 and this is when it happens. We can pl press play on the tape and you can see very clearly again this is channel 12's camera um you can show that you can see the rockets this is the uh left red stamp fired over the hospital which is the right and you can see the blast so that is proof of the fact that it came from the Gaza. yeah so she calls it proof i'm not sure i could call that proof because we don't see a missile fall on that area but <clears throat> clearly there are um there are conflicting pieces of data that suggest various ways this might have happened. I've got another couple of pieces here. So this is, again, an aerial uh, look at the hospital. Same thing as what we saw on uh, Google Earth. And, and then you can see that um, the buildings that surround this courtyard, if you will, have awnings, there's glass windows, there's other things. There are some windows that have been blown out by... Uh, explosive force or shrapnel or something else, but the buildings are not down and it doesn't appear that you could even fit, you know, hundreds of people in that parking facility. So again, this, some folks are calling this into question in terms of the number of people that are, uh, that were harmed here. Uh, we certainly don't want to minimize any of that. However, the facts are, are a bit, um, challenging to come up with how you could get 500 people into that area and, and would they have all been killed by this? So again, it, it's not to minimize any of it, but um, I think the message here is to make sure as we see these reports, um, do your homework, take a look at the pictures, look it up online. There's lots of, uh, of good reporting being done by independents on um, uh, Twitter and on Truth Social, and, uh, and we'll be bringing some of that forward as well. So would highly recommend that folks um, Take a look, evaluate the facts, evaluate what they can see, um, and then measure their uh, conclusions uh, against all the data that's available. Um, and I'm, I, I think we're also in that period where, you know, everybody's got a, a different potential viewpoint. Doesn't mean they're independently wrong, 
but there is something known as the fog of war and that is confusion in the face of um, chaotic situations. So, um, well, uh, as a former air force pilot, I can, you know, warheads have different purposes and different designs. This is definitely not like a bunker buster bomb that the Israeli air force would hit a target with to try to destroy something underground. It, it looks like more of a anti-personnel or, something with a light warhead, but with a lot of shrapnel that could spread out over a period of an area. Uh, and there was a lot of fuel there, obviously, too. Um, you can see the burning. So a lot of the rockets built in Hamas are made out of, you know, materials they have there or that they can smuggle in. And so it's to me, it looks and again, we're not drawing conclusions, but my guess would be that this was a locally produced projectile from uh, from Gaza that hit and, and was not a very highly designed warhead meant to blow something up on the ground or take down a building, but more just something to do damage to whatever is there where it hit. Yep. So that's just you my can, guess. You can actually see on some of the photos that are available, you can see the portions of this building and you can see damage, what looks looks like shrapnel damage to this side of the building, but the building again is, is standing and <clears throat> the other side is relatively unscathed. So that well, would the, be the video I, I showed last week of when I got rocketed in, in Sderot, right, right outside of Gaza, very similar. You had a lot of noise and a lot of shrapnel, but no hole, just, you could find the impact spot. Um, but it, it looks just similar to that yep. to me. Yep. To me. So um, obviously much more on this as we go forward, but um, thought, thought it would make sense to, to give people a view of some alternative, I'll call them alternative views of, of what may have occurred. And we'll, we'll continue to hear more in the days to come, I'm sure. So I want to just real briefly mention uh, my new book release, Paying the Price, The Untold Story of the Iranian Resistance. Iran is playing a major part in this war. Uh, it's likely, you know, I, I interviewed uh, Joshua Klein, who's very tight with the Israeli prime minister the other night on information operation. And, you know, he was saying that the cyber attacks likely were a state actor, highly likely to be Iran or one of their proxy outfits. And the Mujahideen Kalk or the Iranian resistance is the group that's been fighting the Mullahs for 40 years and wants a free and uh free markets, free elections, free economy, uh, tolerance, religious tolerance in Persia or what is called now Iran. So you can get paying the price, the untold story of the Iranian resistance, anywhere books are sold. You can go to historyofbooks.com. If you email direct, email me directly on cdm.press at the, the email there, and we'll tell you how to get a signed copy if you want one. But uh, the feedback's been amazing. But one gentleman uh, who is actually an immigrant came to me and said, this book really inspired me to on how to resist because the 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 persistence that these people have again the face of intolerable evil uh is quite extraordinary and that's what he got out of the book which is what i wanted people to get out of the book so thank you very much we'll see you sunday bill you have anything else that's it there's uh i do want to mention that the um, uh, low country boil is coming up uh in southern georgia this coming weekend a lot of folks appear to be going down for it uh, you can find information on the Georgia record and uh, you'll find it listed um, within the uh, the GOP in that uh, in that area. We'll put it up on the record so folks can find it. A uh, bit of a drive from Atlanta, but from what I understand, quite an event. And uh, folks uh, often 
report. They've been uh, been down on several occasions. And uh, Chuck Hand, who we had on this past uh, Sunday, who is uh, running for U.S. Congress, will be at that event to uh, to meet people and talk about his experiences. So. Low Country Bulls are fantastic. Uh, my father used to love putting those on and you know being the Southern chef in the kitchen and and <laughs> and putting and getting the big pot out and mixing it all up. You know, so it's, you bet. It's Got to be bet. great. A lot of fun. All right, we'll see you uh, Sunday. Thank you. Sounds great. Thanks.